0: Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guests who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 6, Ease into AAC. As a global leader in assistive communication, Tobii Dynavox understands how overwhelming it can be for families, users, and even seasoned clinicians to take on the challenges of identifying and funding an assistive communication device. We are eager to support speech-language pathologists and other professionals in assessing and implementing AAC solutions for their clients. Our website, TobyDynavox.com, and our free learning hub, learn.tobydynobox.com, are full of therapy materials, classroom resources and curriculum, and hardware and software trainings to help our customers embrace AAC with confidence. Additionally, the Toby Dynavox for Professionals program allows you to register for free versions of our software to use with clients.
1: Welcome to the podcast mini-series, Ease Into AAC, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Thanks for joining us on Thanksgiving Eve of all nights for our fifth episode, Supports for AAC Implementation. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs, and if your state license requires live CEUs, be sure to complete all the course modules before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. I am your host, Kate Thompson, and I am a certified practicing speech pathologist from Australia. I was about to say America. You can tell by my accent that is not the case, from Australia, and have worked with people using AAC for the past 10 years. And this is an area that I absolutely love and am very passionate about. And I'm joined today by Darren, who is the chairperson for Agoski, And as we were talking yesterday, Agoski is one of the reasons I really got into AAC, so keen to chat some more with him today. As the host of this podcast, I receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com and have no other financial or non-financial relationships to disclose. Today, we're also joined by Darren, as I said, who's a speech pathologist from Australia with over 20 years in the field. And the chairperson of Agoski. So that's a membership body for people interested in enhancing the participation of all people with complex communication needs. We also are joined by Jeff Steppen, a speech language pathologist from America with over 24 years in the field, and Amy Goldman, another long standing SLP from America and the president of the US Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication, which is another membership body supporting people who use AAC. So, just letting you know, our guests receive compensation from Speech Therapy PD for joining us today, but they have no other financial or non-financial disclosures. Before we get started, just a reminder that we love and encourage questions from our participants, so please send through any questions that you have in the chat box, and we'll make sure that we answer all your questions throughout the discussion today. If anything comes up after today's episode that you have any questions about, please feel free to contact me directly by emailing me at kate, K-A-T-E, at speeches.net.au. So, let's get into the topic for today, supports for AAC implementation, where we'll be talking about the supports available to SLPs wanting to dive deeper into the field of AAC. Welcome, Jeff, Darren, and Amy. Thank you so much for joining me today. And before we get started, I'd love to hear some more from each of you about your journey, your career as a speech pathologist, and how you got to where you are today. So, Jeff, do you want to kick us off?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for having me on the show, first off. As you mentioned, I've been in the field for 24 years. I began my career working with adults quickly transferred into the pediatric realm did a lot of early intervention in the early 2000s uh, in 2010 i made a switch to a school system been there since 2010 so I'm on the year 13 at this point and that's really where i think aac hit home for me i'm working in an educational life skills program so it's been heavy on the aac and it's been uh, quite a journey
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Was there something in particular that stands out to you as the moment where you were like, oh, this is the field for me?
2: You know what? To be quite honest, I have this early in my career as I was working with adults, I was actually thinking of leaving the field. and I working with kids, was, you know, I had to give it a shot. And I, you know, I've always enjoyed being around kids. I'm a kid at heart. I love (laughs) play-based therapy. And I really think like, as I, as I got into it, it just really spoke to me. And I've especially, I think over my career, I've especially loved working with autistic clients. So I think that just, you know, the combination of kids and, you know, autism and the sensory differences, it's been, it's been fascinating for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And how about you, Darren, can you tell us a bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today?
3: Yeah. Well, um, as you mentioned earlier, I've been a speech pathologist for about 25 years now. And I accidentally fell into the AAC field as a new graduate because my wife got a job in on the Sunshine Coast, and I had to follow her. And I just picked up whatever I could find, and it happened to be with uh, the Cerebral Palsy League of the state. And I thought, well, I'll give it a go; it's a job, and it didn't take long, and I was hooked. You know, working with children and families who had complex communication needs was just so interesting. And you could make such a big difference in the quality of their lives and their outcomes. And to think that I was getting paid to, as Jeff said, to play with kids and to talk to people and to help them communicate better—it kind of almost, you know, felt a bit too good to be true. I mean, still hard work, but it was certainly something that felt very natural to me, and I really enjoyed it. And since then, I've worked with um, another. Well, that was a a charity organisation back then, but I've since worked for the government and then I moved into private practice and on the side, as you mentioned before, I became chairperson of Agoski about eight or nine years ago. I'm losing track now. And so it's been a fun journey, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So fell into AAC and Annette is now the chairperson of (laughs) Aguski.
3: And I think a lot of people would have that story in AAC, wouldn't they? They accidentally fell into it and then they realised how amazing it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And how about you, Amy? Can you tell us a bit about your journey?
4: Yeah, so Darren, we have some similarities in our journey. I was a speech-language pathologist at a hospital in Northern Maine. And when I got there, in addition to inpatients and outpatients, we had a contract with a cerebral palsy school. And that's when I found my home in AAC. And Mm. it predated technology. That's how long ago it was. And, you know, my first communication board was cutting up the golden picture dictionary and a jar of rubber cement and some clear contact paper. And that was aided AAC back in the day. And then subsequently through a variety of other jobs, including work with individuals with significant cognitive disabilities and intellectual disabilities, I'm like, this is where communication is. So, I haven't done direct clinical work in a while. My trajectory has been policy and advocacy. So, but the beautiful thing about speech language pathology is all the different pathways. Just don't ask me to do dysphagia. So. <laughs> Good to know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And how about your role as the president for Yeah. Do you call it USAC?
4: Yeah. So I've been involved with ISAC, the International Society for AAC, for quite a while. Actually, 1992, ISAC conference in (laughs) Philadelphia, and I was social events chair After that, Isaac in Pittsburgh, which I can't even remember, maybe eight years ago, 10 years ago, I was a co chair for Isaac Pittsburgh. And then I was recruited to join the board of USAC and served two terms as treasurer and then got on the presidential track, which meant two years as president elect. I'm in my second year. Well, January I'll start my second year as president, and then become past president. And you know, USEC is unique because we have members from a variety of disciplines. We have members who are family members, and we have members who are AAC users. And in fact, it's our practice to alternate presidents who use AAC with presidents who don't use AAC, but we are committed to cultivating leadership among people who use AAC. Yeah, that's amazing. So Isaac Cancun will finally happen this summer. (laughs) It was supposed to be Isaac 2020, but yes, 23, we'll take it. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember being at the Isaac Conference in the Gold Coast, and they released Cancun Conference. I was like, "Yes, I'm going to go there." And then we all know what happened after that. Awesome. So, can you tell us, Amy, a little bit about how Isaac helps speech pathologists, particularly in America, but then Isaac internationally as well? How it supports speech language pathologists to support people with AAC.
4: Yeah. So this year, we have a couple of very cool initiatives. One is already with us, and that's our speaker connection. And if you go to speaker.usac.org, you will see the listing of very talented AAC users who are out there ready to be hired because paid employment is one of our values. And we have done a lot of work promoting this to universities because we really strongly feel that it is the voice of people who use AAC that needs to be heard and for budding SLPs to hear what can be so that they have their sights and their expectations for the people they help to be at that level. So if you know of a talented AAC user, anybody who's an AAC user can create a profile and anybody can search the profiles. But Coming hopefully in January is our member finder because we always are getting contacted. I need somebody who can do this in Evanston, Illinois. I need an evaluator in California. I'm a parent of a new user. I'd like to connect with another parent. So Our member finder, just our members can make a profile, but anybody can search. So we're very excited about those. Now, membership benefits include reduced registration to Isaac and reduced cost for the AAC journal, which is a fine, fine journal. We also do our own webinars. We do between six and eight a year on a variety of topics. So this year we recently had one on swearing and profanity, which was very well attended. We've had some that deal with communication at end of life, a whole range of topics. And our webinars are free to anybody. If you want ASHA CEUs, it's free. If you're a member, there's a $25 charge. If you're not a member and that's the live ones and the archived ones are a member benefit. They're behind the member wall for ISAC members. And if you're a USAC member, you're an ISAC member too. But the other thing is for SLPs, to get involved, it's a great way to be working with people whose names you've only read in the journals. So, for me, for example, working with Sarah Blackstone has been a total awesome experience. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I hope that's a help. Oh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about some of the important work Yusek is doing around disaster preparedness and disaster relief. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you know, parts of the U.S. get hit periodically by bad hurricanes, not to mention winter storms, wildfires, etc. cetera. So we have a strong initiative around training first responders, and encouraging SLPs to do some training of first responders. We encourage SLPs to talk to their clients. They may be the only ones asking their clients, are you prepared in the event of an emergency or disaster? Do you have a go kit? Do you know what to do in the event of emergency or disaster? And the other thing we do is if AAC devices or services have been disrupted by natural federally declared disasters, we can financially help. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important topic and something that over in Australia, the National Disability Insurance Scheme is starting to talk about as well, that providers are a big part of supporting people with complex communication needs to be prepared in a a disaster or for a disaster. So yeah, I think it's something that is really important that we start talking about and I, uh, I really love that you pointed out that these membership bodies are a little community, a network, and you get to talk to people that you hear about and you yes. idolize. Like I've always had a speechy crush on Gail Porter and had the opportunity to be able to talk to her at a conference one day and just thought it was the absolute best at one of the Agoski conferences. And so, yeah, I think it's that really nice little network that you get to develop and have people that you can reach out to and ask questions And yeah, that it's not quite as scary of a leap to to talk to somebody that is so well known in the field and has done so much incredible, important research. So,
4: And, and your volunteerism is needed and welcomed.
1: Yeah, for sure. Darren, are you able to tell us a little bit about Agoski and how it supports speech language pathologists?
3: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, I won't go through absolutely everything in detail because I think the best way to sum it up would be that it mirrors what Amy has just mentioned (laughs) that Isaac does, um, except it happens on our little island uh, down here in Australia in terms of there's member benefits around discount to conferences and access to free webinars, and there's a community of support and there's access to meeting AAC communicators and their families. And, and it's more than just speeches. It's it, it's access to all the tech companies. And although we're so many tens of thousands of kilometres away, we still get to touch base with the big names internationally. Like We had Anna Aylent come to our conference this year. And next year, we've got Cynthia Kress doing a national tour of Australia. So, and then... Ragowsky members feel like we get the both best of both worlds because they can jump into Agoski, and a lot of Rogosky members are also Isaac members. So we can double up in terms of those benefits. So I mean, it's a wonderful support network for anyone working in AAC. Um, in Australia to connect and and feel supported. And and it's even more important now, as Kate, you mentioned, in Australia we have this federal and government-funded disability support program called the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which funds to the best of its capacity to cover everyone's needs from a financial perspective in terms of what they need. But what that's meant for service providers is that we've become very splintered and and very much instead of having a large government service and some large charities, there's lots and lots of little providers. So Ogotsky actually is another mechanism to help um, the provider community uh, feel connected as well.
1: Yeah. And I think the other really incredible thing about being part of these groups is and going along to conferences is like you say, having that opportunity to meet AAC users Mm -hmm. and to see really successful communication using AAC. We've talked about in some of the previous series how slow progress can be when you're first getting started. And so being able to see people that are really successful with their communication and helps to give you that sense of like, okay, cool, this there's a purpose, we, we can achieve something here, but also to link up other AAC users and to create the connections with each other and, and mentoring even and those sorts of things. I think is really important. Yeah, so I think that's really cool. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Jeff, as an SLP working in the field, can you tell us about some of the supports that you've found that have been really helpful?
2: Sure. Well, I think the supports that I, I that I really turn to are, I think, are the ones that most people have heard about, know about. I mean, I I'm a you know being that I host my own podcast, I'm a big podcast nerd, and I love the Talking with Tech podcast with Chris Bouguet and blanking on her name, his co-host. So my apologies. But no, I think listening to other podcasts, I think has been very helpful. I mean, especially for someone busy like myself with a family job. I love listening to podcasts in the car. I've also always been a huge fan of blogs. I know that I still, you know, I have a collection of bookmarks of like, for instance, uh, to this day, going on 12, 13 years, Linda Burkhardt, if you ever uh, Google, IEP goals. You'll quickly find in the top Google searches is a page that she has about uh, how to write goals for children with complex communication needs. That is, alone, is probably on my top ten. I can't tell you how many times I go back to it a year when writing goals and always making sure that my goals are as authentic as they could be and really capture what we want to try and and get after. But I mean, Carol Zangari's her blog is uh, is stellar. Rachel Maddle. yeah, see in the so sorry, Rachel, that I. uh, Dropped your name before, <laughs> but yeah, she's the co-host. But yeah, Carol Zangari's a uh, practical AAC is another big one. One of the things I and I just want to shout out. I think one of the things that has really caught my eye is like, especially even in Facebook groups, like it's really good to go in there and use the hashtags and do deep searches on things that you want to know more about. So like, I you know when I spoke to you, Kate, I think the first time we had talked about, you know, one of the questions I've been having for the last that's been percolating in my head for the last couple of years is. You know to what extent do autistic uh, kids need or uh, rely on symbol based communication how you know Mm -hmm. what is the case that can be made for using text only or even fading so it's it's a big question to my mind and and what i love is if you even go to again practical ac is doing a whole thing on symbols for the month of november 2022 as we record this so i'm interested to see what's going to be coming on her uh, site in the next uh, few weeks so yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And I think what you're really talking to there is the experience of our profession and getting out there and talking to lots of people or asking the question if you're in those groups, Facebook groups, or yeah, listening to podcasts, because there's so much from the professional's experience that we can learn from Mm -hmm. and asking questions and yeah, finding out what people have found works, what hasn't worked, how have they you know, overcome this particular challenge or something like that I think can be really, really helpful and extending that network of people to talk to is really cool.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. And Darren, how about, given that you're still practising as well, what do you find are some of your go-tos for supports in the field of AAC?
3: Oh well, I mean, Agoski, but I'm biased.
1: Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
3: And I do keep abreast of all Isaac uh, things because I've been a member for many years and been to a few conferences too. But as Jess said, Practical AAC, I mean, that's just an amazing daily read that I enjoy. But otherwise, various Facebook groups, which people have mentioned before. And I guess not to forget the fact that everyone needs some AAC mentors. And they are are my go-tos. And it'll be sending them emails or uh, you know, I've got a few in my office that I'll talk to. And sometimes you can be so busy in your work day that just having someone that you can ask some really practical questions to, really quick questions even, can um, that can be some of the, the really important stuff that can't be underestimated.
1: Yeah, yeah, those yeah. hallway
4: chats. Mm. Sorry, Amy. No, you mentioned Facebook groups and I've got a bunch of favourites too. But one of the most powerful ones is Ask Me, I'm an AAC user. So this is the voices of people who use AAC, many of whom are people with autism who are part-time AAC users. And it's just fascinating insights that I think we all uh, can learn from. Along those lines, just coming back from the ASHA convention, had the pleasure of listening to Jordan Zimmerman, who is a woman with autism, who's an AAC user. And she's also the subject of a film. She showed a few, the trailer, I believe. The name of the film is This Is Not About Me. And it's just awesome. She was classified as severely impaired, intellectually impaired, behaviorally severe behavior disturbances until she learned to type. And this is not FC or RPM. She learned the alphabet and she independently started typing. Her very, very powerful speech included uh, heads up to SLPs about the potential for us as a profession inadvertently causing trauma. It was pretty powerful.
1: Yeah. And I just come back to the Ask Me I'm an AAC user group. What I really love about it is there is a 24-hour lockout rule. So anyone who's not an AAC user, is not allowed to answer any of the questions, which I think is is that talks that really powerful moment of where people who are AAC users are answering questions in ways that like just blow your mind that you're like oh that's a really good way to phrase that or you know I wouldn't think of it in that way or I wouldn't have thought of to say it in that type of way so I I think it just is really helpful for people to see and to hear the experiences of AAC users um, over professionals because you know if we have our professional bias and our professional hats on so to be able to hear it from another AAC user is really powerful
4: yeah so I just have a plea So, there is a Facebook group called AAC for the SLP, which has like 35,000 members. That's a lot. (laughs) But I will bang my head against the wall if I see one more time what is the best device for blah, 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 or the Mm -hmm. best app. Yeah. You guys agree? (laughs) That's, yeah. Oh, my. There are better ways to find out the appropriate approach for your client. Yeah, and yeah. Better than social media. Social media has its place. Yeah,
1: and how would you go about that, Amy?
4: So one of the things is to become familiar with a range of options. And I I did put in the chat in uh angela morad who's a amazing kids Mm -hmm. and she's the presence on teachers pay teachers and she has amazing (laughs) comparisons of apps as well as software and devices Mm -hmm. so that's one way to become familiar but the other way is You know, the vendors often, well, certainly the dedicated device vendors have large education initiatives. I would say go play with a device, you know, at a conference exhibit hall. In the States, every state and territory has an Assistive Technology Act program, Those programs are meant to have lending libraries. And very often as an SLP, you can borrow the device from the lending library so that you are familiar with it. Because again, appropriate practices say you should be familiar and comfortable with a variety of tools. If all you have is a hammer, every problem will look like a nail. So you need to be familiar with the tools.
1: Yeah, I really love that analogy. I've not heard that before. And I think we talked about last episode. If we haven't, I'll say it again, That I'll say it now. A lot of the app developers will give out free download codes as well if you reach out to them for speech pathologists to be able to try and learn different systems and uh, and trial them with their clients and students. So, yeah, that's a really cool option as well to reach out to all the different developers out there um, and just have it on your iPad. Yeah. At Toby Dynavox, it is
0: our mission to empower people to do what they once did or never thought possible. As a global leader in assistive communication, we strive to provide innovative solutions, support and resources to individuals caregivers, and our professional partners. With a variety of hardware and software for diverse users of all age groups, and with various diagnoses, we are your partner throughout the AAC journey and beyond. Learn more at TobyDynavox.com.
1: How about you, Jeff? How would you go about, if you had a question like, what device is going to be best for this client, how would you go about answering that?
2: Well, my big soapbox uh, piece has always been, you know, we use, we throw out the term dynamic assessment. And for me, the biggest component of of any assessment is the time component. I remember when I first started my job in 2010, there was a popular, I think it was Mayor Johnson. I don't know if, I don't know if people still use it. It was it was a test, basically, to assess an AAC's users. You know, symbol recognition. You know, size. What is the appropriate this, appropriate that? So you can try really feature match. And again, feature matching is a longer term process than just encapsulating it when one meeting because you know the child might be having a bad day. And I've seen uh, from my own. I remember I can. I'll just quickly tell a story of a of a girl kindergarten, who I remember I had a a rep from one of the companies come out, and she just. You know the way she accessed with her fingers—they're just very knobbly kind of fingers—and we are, I can't—I think we were trialing lamp words for life, if I'm not mistaken. At first, and you know we were going back and forth, and she was showing some early success. And the idea was, okay, so do we go with Unity? Do we go with Lamp? How many icons? How much? You know, what is the vocabulary building? All this stuff, right? And someone else was in the room, like, I don't know if this many icons is, is appropriate. Long story short what looked very awkward and within the first couple of sessions quickly i'm telling you within a month she was a pro at you know again so she had for some reason she had sort of insisting on accessing with her thumb Mm -hmm. (laughs) that changed within a month or so you know and then became a a finger and thumb. but if you had just looked at that first session if that was your only way to assess and you're saying okay this is the moment in time and this is what's going to be well you wouldn't have had that growth period. You wouldn't have had that chance to see what she was really capable of. And then if you looked at it, which this girl now is, by the way, in, in high school, and she's come a very long way. And, yeah. you know, again, again, you need to sort of trust the process and know that you can go back and, and make changes along the ways. But I think, again, my biggest thing is don't be scared off or be feel like you need to be cornered within the first session, within two sessions or a week or whatever the timeline is. You need to give us some more time. I actually credit at a conference I was once talking about an adjacent topic with uh, Linda Burkhardt about this, and she was the one to really just really nailed down that point. You've got to give it time, you know. Whether you're doing pod, whether you're doing you know whatever type of AAC system, give it time for you know then offer the supports that that you need to make them successful.
4: Yeah, mm. you know, Jeff, I, I often think if we judged kids' ability to ride a bike on the first hour that they were presented with a bike we wouldn't have any kids riding bikes yeah yeah Yeah. that's very true and it's really speaking
1: to that growth period that you said Jeff and um and dynamic assessment too of you you know trying some different things and seeing what works and give that time to learn and grow and explore and then see how things are and and constantly be reflecting in that moment rather than going up here's a device it hasn't worked you're not getting a device which is yeah completely taking away people's rights to communication so yeah i think that's really important around that time that's needed yeah how -hmm. about you darren how do you go about the process of figuring out the right aac system
3: Yeah, well, it's actually no different to what my colleagues, Amy and Jeff, have just said. I mean, dynamic assessment is the key, isn't it, to sort of get the ball rolling there. And, you know, the assessment process, establishing rapport, finding out what the client's skills and interests are, how they live their life, is the key before you even get your hands onto the devices within the dynamic assessment process. But, yes, the time component is certainly something that I make clear to a lot of families, that being very important. And then as Amy said, you actually just need to get your hands on the aids, on the devices. I'm a kinesthetic learner. I've got to feel it and do it and, and use it. And that's the only way that I feel like I've been able to learn how to use the aids properly so then I can showcase them to clients. And so going to conferences is a key to making that work and just spending more time at the train displays than what you think. And... Borrowing devices for clients, you know, loaning them and then having a go at it yourself. It's all really, really important part of the process. And and I always have the email addresses of my local vendor companies. So, you know, the Toby company, the PRC company. And if I've got any question about what I'm doing, I'm picking emails. How do you change this scanning process? You know, what's happening next with this app? And just making sure that I've got that dialogue up and happening. But certainly they're the key things that Amy and Jeff have mentioned that I certainly do follow too.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I had worked with a colleague who drove from Townsville to Adelaide. So for people not in Australia, that's about 28 hours worth of driving. And (laughs) she and that's not even from one side to the other she was with her partner and she decided that entire trip she was just going to use pod to communicate and that's how she learned to use user a pod to communicate and by the end of it her partner was like just talk to me because <laughs> <laughs> it was slow and she'd make mistakes <laughs> and she'd have to go back and all of these sorts of things and um yeah mm-hmm. but she got quite efficient with how the system worked yeah. and where to find things and where to look so just finding those ways that you can build it in and Spend decent amount of time um, using it as your way of communication.
2: So mm. several times an hour, he had, I have something to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Mm. <laughs> While he's also driving for twenty eight hours, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no fun.
4: So I I just didn't want to leave this conversation without reminding people that AAC is beyond. Apps and devices, Mm. and that some of our most effective communicators are those who are multimodal communicators. So, again, you know, one of my personal bugaboos is that with a focus on technology, we forget about the importance of unaided and even low tech strategies. So, we need to keep the whole picture in mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. And having those low tech and no tech systems as well, because they all have their moments where they're really good. um, But as we all know, high tech breaks or goes flat or all of those sorts of things and doesn't like to get wet or in the cold, any of that sort of stuff. So having those low tech and then no tech in the event you forget to bring your system with you or something like that, you've still got a way to communicate. So yeah, I think that's an important point, Amy, for sure. So, Darren, I'll start with you for this question. In terms of challenges that you've come across when implementing AAC, what sort of challenges have you come across in your 25 years and how did you overcome them?
3: Mm. Well, I guess the framework that I use for my practice is the TriFocus framework of the person, the partner and the environment. And sort of thinking about challenges in those three components, for me, it's the client challenges that have been the easiest to overcome. You know, how do you mount a switch? Okay, talk to your OT. How do you set up a scanning something? Okay, let's chat to the company and the OT. And what if my client keeps slipping over in their chair? Okay, we talk to the physio. But it's the communication partners that have been the biggest challenges that I come across in a daily basis. And that's where you need to put in the hard yards, not just time investment, dynamic assessment for the client that we know about, but the relationship building with communication partners and making sure that parents and teachers and support workers who might work in an uh, adult-supported independent living, making sure that those people learn to trust you and you understand where they're coming from because they are really the keys to making implementation work. So my challenges are kind of trying to get into their headspace and working out what's their perspective and what's important from them, or for them so that I can give them the skills and knowledge to be the most effective communication partners they can. So for me, that's probably the biggest challenge is working with communication partners. Um, the client stuff, yeah, it's tricky, but you can learn to get around that quite quickly with a bit of uh, fishing around. So yeah. Yeah. My take message is to invest in those relationships.
1: Yeah. And how do you have any tips or tricks on how to build that rapport or, or any questions that you ask that help you to see what perspective or belief systems the communication partner has?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it is the rapport building that I mentioned before being a really key foundation and making them feel like that they're taking the journey with you and that they're a very important part of the team. The other thing that I try to do with them is just like we might have child-led therapy or person-focused intervention, is I might try to follow their lead. So if they've got an inkling about what might or might not work, it's to actually say, well, let's give that a go. So by acknowledging that they are experts in, in some ways too, gives them an opportunity to feel that they're taking a lead in this. So that's um, certainly one strategy that I, that's my go-to strategy all the time when I first meet communication partners.
1: Yeah. And do you find that's particularly helpful? I know I had to have had lots of clients who will say, oh, I've tried that. I've tried that. I've tried that. None of it works. I've tried that. So do you find saying, okay, well, you know, what ideas do you have that might support this person? You've come to speech pathology. Like, is that when you find that kind of helps to open up that conversation away from you giving all these suggestions and then being shut down?
3: Yeah well there's a bit of that about what their ideas are but I also revisit the things that didn't work and more often than not I find out they didn't work because they either weren't implemented properly or that the person wasn't supported sufficiently to actually make them work in the first place. So for example I've had clients who say no I've tried pod it didn't work. And I'll pull out a pod and say, well, you know, we could try it this way and this way. And they're like, oh, I didn't know about that." And then that can make the difference in itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Gail talks a lot about the difference between an AAC user and an AAC owner. And I oh, think there's okay. a lot of speech pathologists who don't know too much about AACs, but they'll prescribe something and then mm-hmm. go, okay, you've now got a pod and, and walk away and don't support the person and actually implementing it and learning to use it not just own it yeah, yeah nice. so I think that is really important yeah. Jeff how about you any challenges that you've come across in your practice
2: oh yeah you know I would just second communication partner training is by far the biggest hurdle that we all have to overcome you know working with our clients is is uh, quite easy by <laughs> by comparison <laughs> and I know there's been a lot of people out there giving webinars and talks about how to uh, You know fostered communication development among among modelers of language i think that you know my particular program we have a fairly high turnover rate among our paraprofessionals and they're you know i call them really they're the foot soldiers in our school of modeling and i really wish you know if i had one ask of my program would be that we had more time for training so we can sit and talk we used to my program several years ago we used to have a shortened day from the other students in our school uh, that changed. So there was a, the, the benefit to that was that we had more times with parents at the end to talk about what had happened and then prepare for the next day or, you know, the coming days to, you know, to follow. But yeah, I mean, uh, paraprofessional training, I think is by far the toughest thing. Parent training is a close second. You know, uh, many of our, I work in a district where many of our uh, families are low income. They're working sometimes two jobs. <laughs> it's, they have very little time to to chat about AEC. In many cases, the only time they, we have a meaningful discussion is at the time of our annual uh, individualized, individualized education plan, our IEP meetings. So that for sure are a couple of really significant barriers. And, you know, I do think I think the biggest thing that I try to do is try to get inside to the best I can of the heads of. The paras that we work in, you know, what are they thinking about? What What's going on? I, I see, by the way, in the chat here, the work of Center and Bod. yeah, they have the the s'mores program, uh, communication partner training, very good stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things, and I'll just give a, a tip that I've done that I actually have just thought about, I'm like, I need to do this again. Several years back, probably nine years ago, I we have enough paras in our program that um, we had a certain level of anonymity that was enabled. I sent out a Google uh, survey and I, wish, I wanted to get a deeper understanding about, you know, in a safe way where parents didn't feel like they were being you know, sort of challenged, but what were their expectations? What were they thinking? And I got some very interesting insights that I don't think I ever would have gotten had I just gone up to them individually and asked them, okay, what are you, what's going on here? What are you thinking? You know, you, we had some parents, I remember, who are questioning, you know, were the kids ready for AAC? And But they were afraid to ask me that directly. So a lot of the common myths that, you, that we run into all the time, well, won't this impede communication? Like the real, you know, the stuff that we just sort of bet off like, no, but these are the kinds of things I think we need to do. Find a way to open up those channels of communication so that they feel safe, empowered, and that they have the best interest of the child in mind
1: yeah for sure and i think that's really important is giving people that psychological safety to share their actual beliefs and their concerns so that you can break those down because i think for a lot of speech pathologists now we know a lot of those myths are wrong and we've debunked them in our minds but for a lot of the people we work with that's still very high of importance to them and they still think that's very true and although we might say oh you know there's research out there there's um using AAC won't stop verbal communication from developing, we might say that, but that doesn't actually help overcome that belief system if that's quite ingrained. So yeah, yeah, I think having that psychological safety and that rapport a bit for people to raise that and say, well, this is my fear or this is what I'm concerned about and being able to support them through that without judgment and and those sorts of
4: things yeah however I would hope that none of the SLPs carry forward that oh he's not ready yeah because Mm -hmm. I've all too often heard I have some friends who are OTs and they're telling me the SLP on their team is the one saying no he's He's not ready. Mm. So, I also serve on the National Joint Committee for the Communication Needs of Persons with Severe Disabilities, otherwise known as the NJC. And you may be familiar with the Bill of Rights, Communication Bill of Rights, but also the NJC website is a wealth of information that usually it'll state a, a position and describe it and also provide the research that backs up the position so that's it's not an asha body but asha hosts the website so the website is www.asha.org/njc And by the way, if you know of a U.S. team that's Paragon of Interdisciplinary Process uh, Supporting Individuals with Significant Communication Disabilities, they should apply for an award that the NJC gives annually. And you'll find out that information on the website as well. Yeah, awesome. Let me do the plug there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's okay do you want to put the the link in the chat for oh, yeah. everybody yeah and I think that's a really important point Amy that as the speech pathologist we really should be championing assuming competence that these people are able to communicate we just need to find a way that supports them um, and thinking multimodal as well so yeah I think yeah especially as the speech pathologist we should be advocating for communication rights and yeah and I guess for us, we all are so passionate about AAC and that's something that seems so natural and common that we forget to talk about it sometimes. But I know I've worked with a speech pathologist who works with a teacher within a school for children with disabilities and the teacher is old school and very much is like, nope, AAC will stop them from talking. They're not ready. They can't symbol match. Like all of these very old belief systems around AAC and trying to su- to support and advocate and educate for her. And this is a new graduate speech pathologist a, you know, talking to a teacher with 20, 30 years experience. And so trying to build that relationship has been quite tricky to overcome. And this person's then telling parents, oh, no, don't worry about your AAC. Don't listen to your speechy, They don't know what they're talking about and all of this sort of stuff. So it's been quite a... Um, yeah a journey for her in terms of how does she advocate and and where does she go next for for those students so Amy in the work that you do has there been any challenges that you see that's a number one challenge that comes up?
4: Yeah so one of the biggest challenges we have in the U.S. can be the funding so even though there's a lot of shoulds when it comes to the school district responsibilities, in actuality, it doesn't always work well, or we've had situations where the school doesn't allow the device to go home, which the IEP team should be addressing that and specifying in the IEP that, yes, it should go home, and then it, should go home. We have challenges around what happens to kids once they have aged out of school and yet they still need services. So finding payment sources can be very, very difficult. It should be something that the team is working on in school as the child gets into the teenage years and my particular interest adults with intellectual disabilities very hard to find funding to continually to support not just the individual and replacement of the device when that's needed but training for their staffs so those are some big issues. And Yuzak is very lucky that our director, we have a director of advocacy, Louis Gollinger, who takes the bull by the horns and is willing to help with some of these cases that will have ramifications, not just for the individual, but some ripple effect.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think funding is a challenge. Everywhere that yeah, really getting that advocate to come in and to to help and to support, especially when you're looking at multimodal as well. So I know back here at home we'll sometimes have a device approved, but not the low tech support system, or you'll get one or the other, or they'll see it as a duplicate. So really. Again, finding those peers that have worked within that, that funding system and know some of the tips of the trade to help get things through is really helpful.
4: Yeah, so I mean, we actually found how widespread this not, taking, not being allowed to take it home was during one of the hurricanes in Houston, and the schools were closed for several weeks. And guess what? because the kids weren't allowed to take their devices home, the kids were without their, without yeah. a way to communicate for weeks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and if you translate that to taking away somebody's wheelchair for a few weeks so they're now not able to ever leave their house or their bed, you, you just wouldn't do that. So being able to help people to see what that actually means and the right to communication access is really important. I am mindful of time. so we've only got a few minutes left. So what if we go around the room and if you can give you three tips, three tips that you would give to a speech pathologist working within AAC? That would be amazing. What if we start with you, Jeff?
2: Boy, three tips. Um, <laughs> well, I guess you know one would be try, you know, I have to be better about this myself. I you know, I was I opened talk, talking about podcasts and blogs. Try and get yourself to read a balance of the original research if you can. It's something that I've tried to, you know, stay on top of if I could. Go to conferences, but, you know, you need to sort of get the theory. But also, again, I do think there's a place for Facebook groups and looking at tips. What are other people doing out there? What does success look like to somebody else? What is What is another program doing that maybe you can, you know, fit into your own? Networking, I think, is another thing. And we talked about mentorship before. I was you know, the, my younger self, I really wish I would have pushed myself as a at a younger therapist to not be so shy about reaching out to the statesmen in our in our profession. yeah, my, I remember the first time I met Galvin Tanov. I was like starstruck. I was like, "Oh my God, your kid. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, no, so I think the other thing is get some mentors. find some people who could you can rely on to reach out when you have any questions. Number three, to Amy's point before, don't fall for the trap of thinking there's one system or there's one program, there's one way to do it. There's many ways to, you know, there's no one solution for everybody's an end of one. And it's a thing that you just keep learning day after day in this profession, right? You think one thing, oh, this worked for so-and-so, it's gonna work and it doesn't. It's just a ton. I think the other thing, uh, the last thing, there's just a ton of customization for every client. If you're doing AAC right, rarely, rarely, I mean, I can't even think of any, how often do you get a program out of the box where it's like, you barely have to program it or barely have to make any modifications. We always do. That's the point. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And individualize it for things that are important for that family or that person and their, the worlds that they're in and the types of words that, you know them and their peers are using, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What about is there a training or a course that you have done, or a book that you, you know, a go-to resource that you have?
2: Well, the thing that's been fascinating me lately, and it's all over social media, is the gestalt language processors in the autism world. And so, you know, I took, you know, I I interviewed marge Blanc back in 2013 or 14, I want to say, when she was first making the rounds on ASHA. And for those of you who are not familiar with her work, check it out. It's very interesting. Um, and it has all sorts of ramifications for how we go forward in AAC for Gestalt language processors, identifying them, who, who are these kids and what, how might we need to be representing language differently for them. So that's a whole other topic, but um, I would encourage everyone to check it out. You know, the, the science in that is young, but I think there's a lot to be mined there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That's really helpful. Do you want to put her name into the oh, chat sure. for us? Jeff, that would be excellent. Darren, how about you? Three tips and then any books or training or resources that you go hmm. to.
3: Well, how do I come up with three different tips to what Jeff just said? <laughs> just Sorry. <laughs> um, I think you need to acknowledge that your learning never ends in AAC, and that's what makes it an amazing discipline. So yeah. if you're a recent graduate or an old graduate like me, there's always new stuff you got to learn. And so that's the challenge, but also a, a big sort of surprise and a happy component of this job is that it is it keeps you refreshed. So you do need to get to conferences all the time, even when we're recent or an old hat. You need to be talking to people all the time. So you need to be Your AAC friends, you need to have your mentors, your your AAC users or your communicators who you're friends with, your reps from the vendor companies. So you need to have your your AAC friends on hand as often as you can. So when it comes to reading and conferences, well, you know, you just need to get to as many as you can. If they're close by, you're just going to make the most of it and jump onto it, whether it's a speech pathology organisation or an assistive technology conference or an Isaac or a Nagoski, if it's around the corner, you've just got to make the effort to go. Yeah. When it comes to to textbooks, well, my go-to textbook is still uh, Bucherman and Miranda because I teach it. I'm actually also a tutor at a um, local university that runs a speech pathology programme, and that is our go-to text. So I'm forever you know, opening it up just to do a, a little check or something or to show one of my staff something, you know, print off the participation model and just stick it on someone's desk, you know, that sort of stuff. So that's probably still my go-to text.
1: Yeah, 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 Yeah. mine too. <laughs> and how about you, Amy?
4: Yeah, so I just have to echo what the other gentlemen have have said that one of the things that makes AAC so challenging is that, and exciting, is that it is always changing. And I've talked to some of my friends who who teach at the AAC courses, and I've done that in the past too. And they're always saying, you know, I'm usually rated as a professor much higher than, than this, but the students are not gonna get a cookbook when it comes to AAC. And that can be challenging, but as I said, so exciting. But one of the other tips is to remember this is really at very best an interdisciplinary area where we are better together (laughs) with other professions and with parents and people who use AAC as our partners. So remembering that evidence-based practices includes the three-legged stool, that one leg is the research, one leg is practice experiences, and the other is consumer preference and consumer choice. So keeping that in mind. We've really only scratched the surface for resources. I am not a big Pinterest user, but I know Lauren Enders Gonzalez does a lot of Pinterest. And if you're looking for carry cases, evidently she's got a lot on Pinterest and YouTube. So if you want to see users, you know. Students coming up now in AAC have a lot of advantages (laughs) in being able to see a whole host of people who use AAC. So again, I didn't mention the AAC Rehabilitation Engineering Research Center, the work of Janice Light. And she's got some great videos and some work with very young children in AAC but anyway the resources are out there for the taking.
1: We do have a question that's come through which in terms of resources if you guys have any special tips or resources for individuals using an eye gaze system on a high-tech computer if you know of anywhere in particular that people could go to find more information around that.
3: I was going to say it depends where people are on their journey from assessment to implementation. So that if that question had a little bit more detail, would I be able to direct them to uh, the the right sort of information? I reckon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So for the person that has sent through that question, if you want to email me through some a little bit more detail uh, around what it is exactly you're looking for, then I can reach out to our awesome guests here and see what resources they would recommend. But I am just mindful of time and not getting too deep into the world of eye gaze right now. But that's definitely something I'm happy to support you with if you shoot me through an email. Alrighty, well... Just in terms of, we'll finish up for today. So, thank you so much to Amy, Jeff, and Darren for joining us and for chatting all about supports. I think there's been so many amazing practical tips and places for people to go and to find out more information, which has been excellent. As a reminder, if your state requires you to do live CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Um, If you have any questions, like I said, shoot me through an email. My email is kate, k-a-t-e, at speeches.net.au, which I'm just sharing in the chat now. And like I said, I can reach out to our awesome guests and get any tips or tricks for any of those more specific questions. So thank you. And please join us for our next episode, which is actually our last episode in the series where we're talking to Judith Davis and talking all about all things about implementation with families and how to support our families and um the, the our client support network. So looking forward to having you guys join us next week. And thank you so much, Amy, Jeff, and Darren.
4: Thank you. thank you. Thank you. Bye.
1: Thank you for joining us for tonight's
0: course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry, and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription, special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.